0: This week, Randy, we're continuing to march through the book, Fight of Your Life, and uh, um, this is based on uh, this new work that I co-wrote with Dr. Tim Clinton, president of the American Association of Christian Counselors. And Tim is just a great friend, uh, a mighty man of God, and just on fire uh, for this topic. Uh, And uh, I haven't mentioned this before in this series. Today we're going to move on to chapter three of the book. But uh, I have seen tears come to Tim's eyes because he has um, a daughter, uh, Megan, and uh, a son uh, whose name I'm blocking on at the moment, and I apologize to him. Uh, he has said that, you know, this book that we're doing and this fight that we're talking about is, is for our sons and our daughters, and uh, his son's name is Zach. It just came back to me. He's a freshman in... Uh, College And uh, Tim and I have had lots of conversations because Debbie and I have a daughter and two sons. And um, we know that every day, you know, our children are up against the onslaught of sexuality in our culture. And uh, uh, Tim just really gets passionate about uh, the idea here that, you know, this is our son's fight. And You know, we as fathers uh, need to be doing what we can be doing to... You know, help them know how to fight this fight well. Well, this reflects back to last week's show when you were talking about Mm -hmm. are you
1: willing to fight for your sons and your daughters and your wife? And uh, just the principles behind the passion that you and Tim Mm -hmm. exhibited in writing this book together is clearly on display here.
0: Yeah, well, we are very passionate about it, and uh, we're passionate about it for a variety of reasons. But, you know, yes, to to segue from last week's show, too, you know, this is a fight for our wives and our children, and there is no doubt about that that is the place to start, and when we start at that place, one man can do a whole lot. So, now, today uh, uh, we're going to move on to Chapter 3, which is entitled Sex on the Brain, and I. Talk about this a lot and uh one of the greatest fascinations academically, clinically, scientifically, uh over the last ten or more years has been some of the new and modern research that has come out about the effects of certain things on the brain. We obviously here at Faithful and True work in the field of addictions. And uh, Uh, The oldest addiction that's been studied quite a bit is obviously alcoholism. To that uh, chemical substance, we have added so many substances that we know are addictive. Uh, uh, Dr. Schmidt, uh, uh, one of our staff here who is a pediatrician, uh, was talking about encountering an emergency situation while on vacation in Wisconsin of an older gentleman who was having some kind of a problem requiring the EMTs to show up and when they got there they found they found out that the problem was he'd been smoking meth. <laughs> so this is an older man, I don't know why I'm laughing it's really not funny. But uh he survived and he's doing okay I guess. But uh they thought he was having a heart attack, they thought he was having a stroke. His pupils were this and that. But they got there and they found out that he had a crack pipe. Uh in his pocket, fell out of his pocket. That's how they discovered that, right? And I guess in talking to him, he he basically on a daily basis smokes crack. Well, you know, there's how many substances are there out there that we know uh, we can get uh, addicted to? Uh, pardon me, Randy. While I have a drink of coffee, no, I'm making a point here. Is caffeine perhaps in and of itself addictive?
1: I see you're giving, <laughs> you're, you're giving us an, uh, an unannounced uh, ad-lib, uh, real-life example of uh, the addiction you're talking about.
0: Well, the coffee cup, with coffee in it, sits in front of the microphone. And I suppose it's there in case I need some kind of a boost of energy. But there are a lot of people out there that can relate to the idea that uh, caffeine is uh, perhaps addictive. I mean, all you really have to think about is when was the first time you drank coffee? and what happened to your brain uh, on that very first cup of coffee? Did it not feel like uh, uh, a major buzz? And uh, you were alert, and your pupils were probably dilated, and and also there was probably a, a very positive feeling, because caffeine t- tends to be antidepressant, uh, at least for a few short minutes after you drink it. Um, how many people would have noticed that after drinking a cup, say maybe they had a cup of coffee now with breakfast. Uh, I remember this happening to me in college, you know, just never drank coffee before. But at breakfast, uh, some of my fraternity brothers and the other people we were sitting with uh, going into their class schedule for the day were drinking coffee. And I said, well, that seems to be part of the program here. So I had my first cup of coffee. I did not like the taste at first until, you know, you learn to put lots of cream in it, but but then I did notice. It did give me a pickup, uh, a buzz. I was more alert, and uh, but then uh, somewhere in the middle of the semester, I noticed that now I was drinking two, sometimes three cups, and then even during break from class, I'd go over to the student union and get more coffee, or in some cases, Diet Coke, which I thought was better, but in fact, has a bunch of caffeine. I, I'm picking on caffeine because I think it's such a common example that a lot of people can relate to. So common
1: that people overlook it. I mean, I don't think that people list that among the you know the main culprits when it comes to uh, stimuli that uh, mm-hmm. that qualify.
0: Well, I mean, there's been a lot of scientific debate. There's years when scientific research comes out says coffee is good for you, and other years when it's not so good. So, I don't know, but uh, it is something that uh uh i still enjoy and i don't find it destructive particularly and that's one of the keys to whether some some substance if it does have addictive qualities is it having destructive qualities on your life but uh what we're talking about here in chapter 3 therefore is while we while we kind of inherently understand that there are there are substances that are addictive alcohol cocaine marijuana uh, methamphetamine, uh, nicotine is maybe, uh, in some people's estimation, one of the worst. I mean, it's been wonderful really over the last however many years that the percentage of, uh, cigarette smokers has gone way down. Uh, so, you know, all of our education about this is, is having its effect, but, you know, nicotine is still a commonly used substance out there and, you know, uh, it is potentially very uh, physically destructive, particularly in the form of cigarettes and so forth. So you know, most people get that. But now, when we start talking about uh, this topic of sex on the brain, uh, now we need to understand that everything that happens in the brain is is a matter of uh, neurochemistry, and then the question becomes: uh, Can the brain? become addicted to the neurochemistry of uh, sexual experience or sexual arousal.
1: And I think that many, many people out there don't understand that connection that, uh, you know, I have heard you present so many times as we travel around the country with The Fight of Your Life and, uh, and other events that we do that the sexual experience of orgasm and things like that has a neurochemical uh release in the brain and the brain is very much affected by the the act of sex
0: right well that's true so we kind of want to get into that today but we can make one of the main points of this show is that uh the fight of your life is based on uh developing a life of purity and freedom from the uh, toxic neurochemical effects that uh that pornography, uh, masturbation, sexual fantasy even uh, of itself uh, can have on the human brain.
1: You're listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Men of Valor program. And when we return, we'll continue our discussion from the fight of your life. You ask me if I love you, and I choke on my reply, i rather... They mislead you with a lie. And who am I to judge you? And what you say or do? I'm only just beginning to see the real you. And sometimes when we touch. Talk... Do you struggle with the use of pornography? That's faithfulandtrue.com. Time
0: now for the Trigger of the Week. Trigger of the Week, uh, Randy, if you'll remember, uh, and I know you've been uh, waiting with bated breath, uh, it's part two of last week's trigger. Uh,
1: That is true indeed, Mark. I have been looking forward to part two of this trigger all week long.
0: Well, I know, and uh, you've been bugging me about it. Uh, But uh, seriously, uh, this came up in the Tuesday Night Men's Group, and you... Our our listeners know that we occasionally like to have uh, uh, triggers of the week that are important uh, to the wives. So uh, things that trigger the wives. And uh, this particular trigger of the week started out with uh, this man in the group uh, just borrowing some video games from a friend and discovered that one of the video games on the back cover contained a cartoon character who was one of the heroines of this game, but it was a fairly realistic drawing. Uh, Now, he looked at the back cover. To him, um, you know, a cartoon character is not that realistic, and so he decided that uh, given the fact that he'd heard so much about this particular adventure game, he wanted to play it, he uh, did, in fact, uh, stick it in his system and did play it for a few hours. And uh, one of the questions his group had for him last night was, well, do you think you were playing it for so many hours because you were waiting for this heroine figure to show up, you know, and you were kind of in your rituals and all of that? He claims that no, she never did show up. And that was really not the reason he was playing the game. At least that's what he said. But the second part of the trigger of the week happened when the wife came in and she was you know in a way happy that he was having some free time and recreation and relaxation but then uh, she just says what game are you playing and uh um he says I'm the name of the game and she picks up the box and now she sees the back cover and uh she is uh very triggered by the fact that he would even uh, have accepted such a game from his friend have taken it out of the box And worse yet, even be playing this game, you know, according to her understanding with the possible anticipation of uh, seeing this person later on in the game.
1: Well, she was instantly judge and jury just by looking at the case, because looking at the case, uh, as he was initially, she was triggered, and she knows what his tendencies are by seeing content like that. Well,
0: historically, he was very addicted to pornography, and so... I, I, I don't know, I, I think one of the... This this is a trigger that was uh, triggering different uh, things in both of them, and uh, I just thought it would be kind of a fun two-part trigger to emphasize uh, sometimes the disagreements that couples get in on uh, the man's, uh, the husband's program, what is appropriate, what's crossing a boundary, what's uh, a dangerous, ritualistic activity... But I think even more importantly, that even if the man could honestly say he was not triggered really by this cartoon figure, the uh, the wife obviously was because it was symbolic of so much other stuff. And the uh, the point to the man was, you know, we need uh, in in terms of our recovery to be making amends and honoring our wives. So, you know, if there's something out there that seems to be really problematic for them you know th- that's something that we need not to be doing well and despite
1: what he's heard about the exciting aspects of that video game he needs to honor his wife in in right. the fact that just right. seeing the the carrying case for the video game right. one glance at that should have said i need to put this aside this is not going to be doing me any favors
0: that is exactly it so That's our two-part trigger from last week. And uh, um, guys out there, I think, you know, be uh, sensitive. Uh, Even if there's something there that you think is not all that provocative, uh, um, you know, be aware of uh, what you're bringing into your home. Remember, this is a fight we're talking about for your homes. And another way to look at that is that this guy, in the case we're talking about, does not have children yet. But let's say it was a man who has children. Is this a, a a game, or is this a cover that you'd want your young children seeing?
1: Well, and perception is reality. When his wife walked in, saw him playing a video game, her first response was, "Well, good for you. I'm glad to see you're taking some time for some right. you know relaxation and, and entertainment." and then she picked up the video game case, you know, and it triggered uh, you know it uh, she immediately was filled with all kinds of hurt disappointment and things like that by just seeing the characters
0: that's right so there's a segue here back to our show actually randy i'm relieved are you ready for a segue the segue here is that video games in and of themselves i think can become addictive uh uh we hear about that all the time you know we hear parents to talk about the fact that their kids are playing these hours and hours and endlessly all day um We we call it kind of at times mindless activity. Uh, There's debate about whether or not the manual skills that are being acquired here are worth it. But uh, what what could possibly be addictive to playing a game? Well, um, we need to talk about one of the first uh, uh, neurochemicals that I think is a really important actor in any kind of behavior that might become addictive, and that is the uh, neurochemical, uh, most commonly I think called adrenaline, uh, sometimes called epinephrine, norepinephrine. Uh, it's that excitation neurochemical that gets our body ready for action. So if we're playing an action video game that has uh, combat or some, some mental challenge in it uh, that we need to really be thinking about, then there's going to be adrenaline attached to that activity. And if we keep playing the game and playing the game, uh before we know it, we're going to be on that ongoing adrenaline high or hit. And sometimes you'll know that you are addicted to that level of adrenaline if you just can't stop the game. Uh because you know that when you do, uh your brain's going to go into detox and you don't like that. Uh, so that's the segue. We're not bashing all video games. I do know that there was an early time in my life in the 19, late 1970s when I knew where every Pac-Man game was in the western suburbs of Chicago. But, uh, and I had learned how to beat it. Uh, maybe a somewhat grandiose thing to say, but I read a book and I used to play this thing for hours. And that's all about adrenaline. All right. Now, We could talk about so many other uh, addictions here. Uh, Gambling is another one where adrenaline is a bad actor. Uh, You go into a casino, there's the risk of losing money or the thrill of making money. Adrenaline is a part of that. Work is another one that we think has a component to it of adrenaline. If you have stress and deadlines and challenges, uh, that can produce lots of adrenaline. There are people that... uh, are workaholics? Um, they're working, you know, way too many hours, uh, and they love uh, jobs where there is stress and deadlines. And um, I've talked to some emergency room physicians, for example, who, you know, are just really, uh, obviously, brilliant at what they do. And there's certainly a lot of adrenaline to that medical specialty, and uh, you can just tell sometimes the personalities of certain medical specialties. And, you know, emergency room physicians, they, they just got to be locked and loaded on on the challenge and, you know, all of the uh, adrenaline involved. Now, sexuality, uh, guess what? Uh, when, we, when we get that first sexual thought in our head about the possibility of being sexual, uh, we get sexual arousal going. What is the first neurochemical that uh, gets produced in the brain, uh, and that is the neurochemical adrenaline. Actually, and this is maybe an interesting thing for some of our people to hear, the sexual uh, response, the human activity of sexuality, is actually part of our survival response in the brain, meaning that uh, we procreate because we want to perpetuate the race. If we feel like we're in danger, uh, actually our sex drive goes up, Why? So that we'll continue to procreate the universe should we ourselves be killed. So God designed the brain in such a way that human sexuality is part of the human survival response, and as a result of that, one of the major facilitators of that is the neurochemical adrenaline. So you can just be thinking about sex or thinking about some new kind of sex or a new uh, pornographic image or whatever else it is or a new person you've seen out there in the world, and that can release adrenaline. The point being... The brain can adjust to that and uh, that's the factor that uh, is really so critical to uh, this getting kind of grooved into the brain is that the brain adjusts and we, we develop what's called a tolerance just like we would with alcohol or nicotine or caffeine and uh, now we're going to need more of the same substance to achieve the same effect. So adrenaline is a very powerful and very useful at times neurochemical in the brain when we when we do artificial things to create it, uh, we can certainly get addicted to it, and sexual uh, fantasy and sexual activity is one of the things we can do. There's another neurochemical. God has put a part of the brain called, the, uh, the in, in common parlance, the pleasure center of the brain. It's uh, the part of the brain where we learn that certain activities are pleasurable, and God designed that part of the brain in such a way so that we'll do those pleasurable activities again. And hopefully those pleasurable activities are life-sustaining. One of them is eating. You know, why do we have eating disorder? Well, there are certain neurochemicals that food puts out that go to the pleasure center of the brain and give us that sense of pleasure. Well, God does want us to eat so that we survive. It's, again, where we are searching for those neurochemicals to medicate our brain out of loneliness or something else that we can get involved in you know overeating or eating for uh, just emotional comfort the neurochemical involved in the human sexual response to the pleasure center is a neurochemical called dopamine and uh, uh, dopamine i think a lot of people have heard of that when it gives an intense sense of pleasure when you combine dopamine with uh, adrenaline um, there are those that have compared that combination to cocaine itself. And so that's kind of even just on the front end of the human sexual arousal cycle. And uh, if we could stop right here and say that sexual fantasy, sexual arousal, looking at pornography, not even engaging in sexual activity itself, you know, is highly addictive. But there are other neurochemicals that are involved when we start touching ourselves or each other, and that's oxytocin. Then there are other neurochemicals that are involved when we have... Sexual release or an orgasm, and some of those are very powerfully mood elevating, as we all know. God intended that again, uh, so that when a husband and wife have uh, that experience, uh, God wants us to um, produce uh, children. He he intended for that to be a massively uh, pleasurable experience. One of the principles that we're talking about um, throughout this neurochemistry chapter, and really all of the chapters, uh, is that something can be addictive uh, even when you take something that God intended for good and you turn it into something for your own selfish medication purposes. And when you're trying to get yourself out of loneliness or anger or stress or whatever it is. So those of us that are uh, have a history with this have used the neurochemistry of sexual arousal and sexual activity and sexual release to medicate feelings that we don't like having, this establishes grooves, patterns, associations in the brain. The brain locks in on it, starts getting mapped in the brain, and uh, in next week's show uh, we will talk about the good things that we can start doing about this to change it. But I think it's important that every young person, for sure, knows that if they continue to look at pornography or masturbate or you know get involved in lots of sexual fantasy. you know this stuff is actually getting locked into the brain, and uh, we we generally ask the question, "What kind of brain do you want to have and the fight of your life is uh, is really all about cleaning or cleansing your brain out of some of the things that you 've programmed into it you 've been listening to Dr. Mark Laser. And this is the Men of Valor
1: program. If you're interested in purchasing The Fight of Your Life, the new book by Dr. Tim Clinton and Dr. Mark Laser, visit faithfulandtrue.com, and you can purchase it right in the bookstore. We thank you for joining us again this week. And if uh, you have not done so, uh, we invite you to visit faithfulandtrue.com, where we have many available resources for you. Until then, we wish you a week full of blessings and great vision.